The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We've been talking together over the last several weeks about extending our reach. And that may seem uh, an odd statement uh, to you. It may seem that it's uh, about us, um, about what we do. But the, the reality is this. The gospel, the message of the gospel is incredibly practical. The message of the gospel was always meant to be missional. It was always meant to go out uh, into the world. Obviously, Christ came into the world to save sinners, came into the world to free us from the bondage of sin and death, to overcome uh, death so that we have no ultimate enemy anymore uh, at the end of the day, but we have life in him, and that we're to share that good news, he said in the Great Commission, to go out into all the world sharing the good news of the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, and into the farther extent of all of the world. And so we've been talking, and we do every, uh, every January, that we talk about our mission, we talk about our values, we talk about why we do what we do, and how we want to keep moving forward and moving out. And so we've looked and we've said that the, before we can go out, uh, before we can share with somebody else the good news of the gospel, before we even have a desire uh, to do that, motivated for the right reasons, uh, ver- less out of guilt and shame, or just pure duty and diligence, uh, we would move out with passion because the gospel has taken deeper root within us uh, that we know more and more who we are in Christ, which then motivates us to go out. So the gospel first has to extend its reach. The Holy Spirit extends his reach into our hearts, into our lives. And when it gets down in there and is really bolted down and rooted down within us, then naturally we go out and we look for opportunity to share that good news and word and deed with others. And we started on the outside circle versus the inside circle the next week and said uh, in Psalm 96 that God uh, is a ministry to the nations, that we have a ministry to the nations, uh, to go to the nations uh, and to minister to the nations in his name. And Mike and Chrissy Costner, who are ministering to the people in the nation of Belize, uh, came and shared with us about their ministry there and how uh, we can partner. We're praying about a trip in the fall Um, to go down and to minister with them there, opportunity for you to extend your reach in that way. That uh, we we have this this gathering, as it were, of people here to go and do something there. And then last week we looked in Acts chapter 2 of how God brought together the church with a diverse background from all kinds of nations, uh, all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, Uh, racial backgrounds, brought them together, and they lived together in common. They lived together with the same, uh, that the the common denominator in them was Christ. Uh, That finding that common denominator in Christ made us unified, one together, and it spread out from that, caring for the needs of neighbors, caring for the needs of others, uh, and the church exploded that people were being converted uh, to Christ regularly through the love that the church had for one another and for those who were in need around them. The church never turned a blind eye. And if you think about the extension of the reach of the church over the course of history, it's a fascinating extension. Uh, That many uh, of uh, the finest uh, works within uh, health care and hospitals 
uh, around the world were started by the church because they realized God is the great healer, has us who can heal the sick and bring them hope. Orphanages were started throughout uh, England and Europe, uh, mainly by Christians uh, who housed the indigent poor and the children. It gave parents who had no opportunity to raise their children uh, only in poverty to give a place where their children could be raised safely uh, there, that the church cared for the orphan, the church cared for uh, the widow. That we've seen even in education, uh, the great institutions around the world and in our own country, sadly, most of them are lost. Many of the Ivy League schools started by Christians, uh, started to educate uh, when it used to be that theology was the mother of all sciences until the Enlightenment. That in order to understand physics, in order to understand mathematics, in order to understand language and history, in order to understand anything else, one had to understand and have a proper theology of who God was. And so these great universities and education systems were started by the church, extending the reach out. That even Sunday school, we said, we, we don't do Sunday school historically like Sunday school was started. It was started in England uh, when there were no child labor laws. And the children were working and the only time that the children could ever be educated was on a Sunday morning when the church decided, hey, we can invite these indigent poor children into the church and teach them, tell them how, teach them how to write, how to read, uh, how to maybe better themselves. And so it was started as an extension ministry out. Isn't it interesting how we've co-opted as a ministry in? And so all of these ministries within the church historic have been about extending the reach of Jesus Christ, foreign missions uh, of going over, uh, of men and women who sat, and many of them from wealthy families, and their parents and their families uh, would go, what are you doing? And they said, we're going to go to China, and we're going to go and we're going to serve in China because we believe that the people in China need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to go into South America and we're going to serve the needs of the people in South America. We're going to go into Africa. We're going to go and do these things. And so it was the mission of the church to extend its reach. And today we're wrapping all of this up. And I was wondering how best to do that. And I started reading Ephesians. And it dawned on me, Ephesians as a letter, by the way, Paul didn't write with, even didn't write with periods and uh, those things, but he just wrote and he didn't have chapter divides and he didn't have verse numbers. He just wrote this letter. And I'd encourage you, if you get a chance today, uh, this week, read Ephesians start to end. And if you want a really creative way to do that, you can go to, I use the ESV, the English Standard Version Bible. You can go to esvbible.com, uh, org or whatever, and you hit read mode, and it takes away all of the numbers. And so it just comes a letter again. And just read it. And what I saw in that, and what we're going to look at together today, is Paul's passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for a theology. We said last week that the, that the saints gathered around in Jerusalem and they studied the doctrine, the dogma, the teachings, the theological truths of the apostles. And it's in teaching and knowing those things, their orthodoxy, that they then went out in orthopraxy into how to live their lives out into the world. And Paul is just giving this beautiful orthodox view, this, this theological view of who God is, what's happened to us. And then he turns in the middle uh, of this letter and he says, now because of this incredible truth that's happened to you, go and walk, go and live, go and be in relationship, parents to children, children to parents, husbands to wives, 
lives. As you go out and you enjoy your life, be careful. Don't get drunk. Don't come under the authority of anything else other than the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then when you work, husbands, or bosses to those who are employed, employees to bosses, he uses slave and master imagery in the letter. And he talks about these things and he says, now go and live in this way. He says, but there's going to be a battle. That would be chapter 6. There's going to be a battle trying to keep you from believing these truths and then living these truths out. And so be aware that there's this battle going on with principalities and powers and and entities and your flesh and your heart and all of this. And there's a battle raging, but I'm going to give you the spiritual armor that you need, uh, the weaponry that you need in order to withstand the assault of the evil one so that in that day you can stand firm uh, and that you can go out and keep continuing to do the mission of the church. And then at the end, I hadn't really seen it before, and it got me. And all of a sudden he says at the end, now pray, chapter 6, I think verse 18, pray for all the saints... And for me, let me get it right, pray for the saints and for me that words may be given to me to op- opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He basically says this, now at the end of it all, here's why you need to have an incredible theology. Here's why you need to know God so well that it affects your life and it influences your life. And then to live in light of that reality, to know that you're to be called to be children of light, living a life of light in a dark world, to go out and to do these things, to fight this battle against the evil one, to go out because you have a message of the gospel to give to somebody else. Folks, you're not the end game for God. I hate to break that to your ego today. You are not the end game for Christ. Yes, He came to save you, but not only you. He came to save you. He came to, rec- to rescue you, to reconcile you to His Father, to give you new life, so that He would then use you as a conduit for His saving grace to somebody else. Do you believe that? Too much of the church thinks that we're the end game. And here's how I know that. We come to church and we go to a lot of Bible studies. And we want to learn more about who we are in Christ. And I love identity in Christ. You know that in my preaching and teaching. I want you to know who you are in Christ. But for the express purpose of sharing it with somebody else. Of loving your neighbor so well that they would see within you the hope of glory. And they would say, tell me why you are facing this situation differently than I would. Tell me what's different in your marriage. Tell me what's different in your parenting. Tell me what's different in your parents. Tell me what's different and why is it that you're a teenager and you're saving yourself sexually for marriage uh, to be with this? Why is it that you, that you give away money to a church? Why is it that you go serve people in the community who can never give you anything back? Why do you do the things that you do and you then would have a testimony of the hope of glory that's in you and you go, here's why. I'm so glad you asked. It's because I was lost. Utterly lost. And God came and found me in Christ. And if he can save me, that he would save me. Oh, if you knew, I can tell you some good sins that I've done. And you'd be shocked. But there's a whole lot of other of Bill McCutcheon that you don't want to know and I don't want you to know. Because I know this much about myself. I have a good biblical anthropology and so should you. And it goes something like this. Cheer up, you're worse than you want to think that you are person next to you is worse than you think they are folks 
But here's the glory of the gospel. In Christ, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared dream or imagine simultaneously at the same time. And with that humility, with that realism that I have about who I am, both prior to Christ, in Christ now, and who I will one day become when He returns in glory, then I have a passion to go out and with honesty be incredibly hopeful that anybody that I talk to about the Gospel of Jesus Christ, my presentation isn't the key to whether or not they get saved, but it's on whether or not God quickens their heart. And I pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would do these things. And I look... And I go again in the mirror, if me, why not them? Why not her? Why not him? I'm incredibly hopeful and thankful and humbled because the last time I checked, I get to control a lot of things. I get to control what I say next. I get to control what I wear most of the time until Lisa says, are you really wearing that? Uh, And this is always a great question by a wife, isn't it? No, I was just covering up my nakedness so you could tell me what to wear because I obviously can't choose clothing. Um, But I can choose certain things in life. But I didn't get to choose to be born on February 26, 1968 to Bill and Maggie McCutcheon in Columbia, South Carolina. I didn't get to choose to be raised by godly parents who shared the gospel with me in a godly home and took me to church to hear the gospel and to sit under the faithful preaching of a man uh, who preached the grace of Jesus Christ regularly on Sunday mornings. And though I rejected it uh, in my youth and adolescence, uh, I didn't choose on that day driving back from Charlotte to Columbia for God to say, Bill, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I didn't go looking for any of that. I didn't get to pick and choose any of that. But God, rich in mercy, before the foundations of the world, set His love upon me and gave me that hope in Christ that night in November of 1990 and forever changed my life. And I realize this isn't about me. I'm a minor player in the game. I'm a minor part. Paul wrote a letter all about that. And we're going to look at the whole letter this morning. Okay? So if we're going to take on this endeavor, we need to pray. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word, which you preserved to us. And I pray that you'd speak powerfully to us today by your spirit through the words of your child, your son Paul, a persecutor of the church, a murderer, a man who hated you, but yet you, in your incredible glory, blinded him and changed him, and then when he could see, he saw Christ and pursued him with all that he had and gave his very life, even to death, to share the good news of this gospel of a God who would come and save a man such as him. And I pray that we would hear these words preserved for us and that we would be encouraged and challenged and that our reach would go far into the world with reverberations into generations and eternity itself. We pray this with confidence in Christ's name. Amen. For those of you who are looking for an outline, sorry. Honestly, we're just going to talk a little bit today. 
We're going to flow through this letter, this pastoral letter, and pick up a couple of things and then come, if you're looking for a conclusion, always good if you're writing to write your conclusion first. Here's the conclusion. The gospel message in your life is always missional. You were saved for a missional purpose. You were saved for something greater than yourself. And that's our call today. So we're going to flow a little bit. And Paul begins to write this letter. He's in bondage. He's in prison. And he begins to write this letter to Ephesus, a church uh, where he ministered. And he knew intimately. He lived for a number of years uh, that he had helped start there. And he writes and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to and to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. And for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have, He has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in the age, this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Can you see Paul getting a little excited? And he wrote about a passion. And if you don't get anything else theologically out of that, at least get this much to be passionate about that thing that you believe. That it wells up within you something. And Paul was so amazed by the sovereignty of God. There's a word that's just divisive. But it's a word that's so important. For Paul understood this, that it is within God's sovereign plan of all things that I find my greatest hope. Because if it's by chance or by fate, then all hope is lost. I sat with my good friend George Towns this week. George is facing a battle, a battle of his life and for his life against bladder cancer. He had surgery Friday. 
And on Wednesday, he said, Bill, I just want you to know how thankful I am for the church. And he said, I came to the church, and I love the people at the church. I love the fellowship that I have. I, I love the worship experience that's there. But more than anything else, I'm thankful for the theology that I've received. Because what I've learned in the four years that I've been there is God's sovereign hand over all things, even cancer. And if God isn't in control of cancer, then I have no hope. If it's chance or fate, then I'm lost utterly. But in typical Towns fashion, he's going to listen to this sermon, I'm sure, and he's going to be mad at me for even mentioning him. He said, but Bill, I know this. If I make it or don't make it on Friday, it doesn't matter because whatever days I have are for His glory and His purpose because He's in charge, not me, and I'm okay with that. Folks, if you don't think sovereignty is incredibly pragmatic and practical, you haven't read the Bible. What other hope do we have? Chance? Fate? How good or bad you are? A young woman in our church in Memphis, Tennessee, her mother was driving down Poplar Avenue, the main avenue down in Memphis, and a car veered over the middle line and hit her mother's car head on and she was killed instantly. This young woman went to her pastor in her church and said, Pastor, what do I do? I don't know how to process all of this. My mother's immediate and this sudden death. And he said, that wasn't God's will. That, that was the evil one winning. And she stood up as a young teenage girl in front of this trained pastor and she said, if God's not in control of cars driving down Poplar Avenue, He's not a God that I can serve. And she moved to a church that at least said this, I don't know why your mother died, but I know this, it didn't surprise God. And in the midst of your grief and in the midst of your loss, press in towards Him. And find your hope in Him. Even in the midst of your sorrow. Folks, that's a theology that preaches and lives and breathes. But it doesn't stay there. Then Paul went from this great picture of God's sovereignty and election and all of these things to chapter 2. And he says, and you, by the way, he goes into an anthropology. He says, you, by the way, before you start thinking too highly, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you for once walked following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Look how beautiful Paul says, I'm just like you. I'm someone who was lost and now is found in Christ, was bound but is freed. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He says, do you see how you were saved? Do you see the beauty of the gospel in your life? 
the great mercy that's been extended to you in Christ? Do you know what's taken place in your heart? And friends, I'll say this, if there's any of you here who don't know that, I would beg you today, turn to this God. Lay aside all of your doing and all of your trying and believe that all of God's doing and all of his trying on your behalf has secured you. But believe it today. And then Paul goes on and he says, this is so awesome. Christ has been raised from the dead. He's seated in the heavenly places above all rule and authority. Guess who else is seated with him? Do you know? You are. It is more real that you're seated with him in the heavenly places currently than it is for you seating in these chairs right here today. You know that. That's more real. That is more substantive. That carries more weight. He says that you are with him in glory. You're seated there. You are with him. That means, guess what? You can't be lost. If it was a gift not earned, then it can't be a gift lost by bad behavior. Salvation is given to you freely. And he will see you through to the end And then Paul keeps going and he goes, I want you to know this. And so Pastor Paul kicks back in in chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, for this reason, you're all together in this. You're one body together. I'll bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to know it more. Why? Just so we can be puffed up and go, I know more? No, because the more you know about what has happened in your life, the more you study, the more you, you inhale and digest this. Paul said, your word is honey to my lips. It is sweet to my taste because it brings life to my soul. It makes me know who I am. And then Paul just kicks into worship. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Look at that language. Far more abundantly. That means he can do an awful lot. Far more abundantly than we ask or think. And I ask and think a lot. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Set down the pen. Be done writing. And it's as if Paul goes, oh shoot, there's more. (laughs) Now, because of this great theology that you have, because of this truth that you have, because of who you now know that you are in Christ, it has to affect your life. Christian, hear that. If you believe chapters 1 to 3, it has to matter in how you live. If it's not affecting how you live your life, it begs the question of whether you believe chapters 1 to 3 or if the transaction that is described in chapters 1 and 3 has taken place in your heart. That is not me talking, that is Paul. It matters how you live. Non-believer, if you're here investigating the church, It is a true indictment that the church is filled with hypocrites who don't live it out well. True indictment. But don't let that keep you from the reality of the truth of the gospel. Because guess where else you're going to find hypocrites? Everywhere else, by the way. In every other organization and civic and religious group that there is. And so Paul begins in chapter 4. He says, now therefore, live this out. And he gives ways to live it out. Husbands, 
if you understand what's happened to you in the gospel, love your wives sacrificially. Wives, if you understand what's happened to you in Christ, love your husbands well. Children, respect your parents as unto the Lord. Parents, love your children and raise them in this way. Folks, go out and remember, what was Christ's first uh, miracle that he did? Turning water into wine at a wedding feast. And I believe part of the reason that he did it there was to say this, I'm the Lord of the dance. I'm the Lord of the celebration. I'm the Lord of the feast. I'm the Lord of the party. So Christians should party and celebrate and feast and dance more than anybody else in the world. But to do it rightly. Where he says, don't get overwhelmed by wine. Don't get drunk. Don't be caught in all this carousing that the world does. But celebrate all of these things under the control of my spirit. That you would glorify me in the dance. And then when you work, work well. If you study in school, study well. In all of your relationships, have these relationships and go out and walk in love as Christ called you to walk. Done, right? Is it hard to do that? Anybody else struggling to walk out the walk of Christ in your life? Good grief. Really? <laughs> all right, so I can hang out with you and you and you. It's rough, by the way. Why is it difficult to live out your faith within any culture, but how come it's so difficult within our culture? Paul writes chapter 6 for that very thing. He says, folks, children obey your parents, and he speaks about that, slaves and masters. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of this evil, uh, uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, folks, there's a battle. And the reason that it's difficult to stand and live for Christ consistently in your life is there's an enemy who's trying his very best to keep you from doing that. That he's laying out other temptations in front of you. He's putting other gods and kings and billboards and saying this, are you having a tough time in your marriage? Don't sacrifice yourself for your spouse. Get a new one. There's a younger model somewhere. Are you having difficulty? Don't tithe. Keep all the money for yourself. The more you get, the better it is at the end of the day. And there's all these voices shouting out, saying to our young people, don't follow Christ. Give yourself to whomever you want to give yourself to. Sexual purity is overrated and it's dated. Go and do whatever you want to do. I mean, heck, if it feels good, how can it be bad? And somewhere that lands. We have to fight that battle. Say, no, 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 that's the voice of the enemy. That's not the king's voice. That's not my God's voice. I've got to fight. And he says, you've got shields and you've got arrows. You've got the word of God. You've got all of this stuff. And to fight the battle, fight together, stand firm in these things. And then he ends, and this is where he says, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the Apostle Paul begging the church 
pray for boldness for me. Why would Paul ask for boldness? Because he wrestled with timidity. Because he wrestled with the same fears that you and I face. When someone's looking at Paul and saying, if you say another word, I'm going to kill you. We look at Paul and think, Paul goes, bring it on. Here's the gospel. Paul was a man. And he said, saints, pray for me. That I would stand boldly in that moment. And I would face my death with a hope that brings glory to the King. That I would share indiscriminately with people. That I would be bold. And I'm praying for you in the same way. And so folks, here's the deal. We need to pray for one another. We need to stand together in these things. To go out and with boldness in this community. Around this country and around our globe. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boldly to all those who will listen. And even to those who won't. Because that's what we're called to do. That's the purpose of the gospel message. You're not the end game. It's not about you, by the way. Hate to break it to you. It's not about you. It's about Him working through you. Isn't that incredible news? Isn't that a great letter? I want to read letters like that more often. We don't write letters. We write a little blurb email, 140 characters of this, a quick quick text here. We try to have deep and profound conversations. And Paul's going, no, no, no. I'm going to choose my words. Well, I'm going to write to you these things. Folks, look at it this way. This is your Father in Heaven writing you an incredibly deep love letter. Saying, I want you to know this so well. I want you to know this so well. Teenage girl, I want you to know this so well when that idiot teenage boy suitor tries to get you into bed that you're going to say this, my Father in Heaven made me beautiful and I have full acceptance and full love from Him and I don't need your love in order to make me feel better about myself, so get away. It makes you believe, single person, this, that if God has you designed for marriage, you're not going to miss your spouse. You're not going to walk by Him and go, oh, shoot, dang it, oh well, single forever, crap. But you can trust in God and not go and say, I'm going to dumb down my standards and God's standards just to, to have my pursuit of marriage filled. That if you're married, you can stay and you can fight the battles for the heart of your wife and the heart of your husband. And if you have children, you can love them well and you can fight those battles for their hearts. And children, you respect your parents even in their imperfections. That when you're older, you don't get out of the game that you take and bring your wisdom of all the years of God's work in your life and you give it back to us and the younger generations who are so desperate to hear it. We need the greatest generation to speak more. And the children of them to speak more. We've got to hear from one another. Again, within the church, there's life for us to give so that then when we grow in these things, we go out into the world and we say, let us tell you about the hope that we have within us. The glory of Jesus Christ. Ah, that's good stuff. That's where we are right now. And I'm going to transition to this. Part of the way that we do that as a church, we do our ministries here and we have people on staff and your tithe in giving is so incredibly generous that you allow us to continue to do the ministries that we have here, but we want to continue to extend our ministries beyond this church, outside of these walls. 
Church is never about money, but it does cost money to do things. Like I said earlier, your generosity, unbelievable generosity, allowed for us to do work within the community. But we want to do more work here. And that's what this is about. If you've got this, I want you to look at it. You should have received it this week. And we want you to commit, biblically to commit to pray, just as Paul said pray. We want you to pray for our church, pray for our missionaries, pray for those people that we've aligned ourselves with to go and to serve. We'd like you to consider if you're willing to go, go across the street or across the world, it doesn't matter, but if you're willing to go and be used by God somewhere uh, for His purpose. And the other is if you'd be willing to partner with us financially. In your generosity, we have a budget, an operating budget this year of roughly $1.2 million. And you all are fulfilling that, and that comes through your tithe, what we do every week. Out of that, we give one-tenth of that to missions of serving local national and globally so roughly $120,000 but we have commitments close to $170,000 and we want to keep expanding those commitments to do more around the world and that's this gap that we're asking you to commit to today it's called an offering above and beyond the normal tithe and so if you're willing to do that that allows us to do more it allows me to have another conversation with uh, Danny Clark at College of Charleston. Do you think it's important to reach uh, the universities within our country with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Kids are being lost there, and the world is changing on the college campus. So our denomination believes this. We're going to take men trained in seminary pastors just like me. We're going to take them and their families. We're going to put a bunch of interns, and we're going to set them on college campuses all around the United States. And we've got them at College of Charleston that we support, at Harvard that we support, uh, at the University of New Hampshire, uh, Vermont. Gosh, right here in front of me, New Hampshire, Vermont. They're upside down. Yeah. Um, uh, Vermont. Uh, that uh, there we've got them at Clemson we have them at Anderson University at SCAD all across and we partner with them and yesterday I got to go to Danny Danny's a great preacher teacher but like me Danny stinks at fundraising and if I had to raise all of my salary and all of the expenses of my ministry I wouldn't be around long but Danny has to do both he has to preach teach minister to kids and go try to raise a hundred and something thousand dollars a year I said Danny our church through the generosity of God's people, we're increasing our support of you from $600 a month to $800 a month. And Danny is broken to tears. He goes, thank you. It's been a hard year. And we've been able to say the same thing to John Boyd over at Anderson University of doing the ministry there. And we're partnering with Young Life and with FCA and with different ministries here. And we're moving globally around the world. And we're partnering with the Costners. And there's a list of all the different people. The files in Japan and the Bacalars and folks all around the world that you're partnering with, extending our reach. And so I'd ask you to pray. Commit to pray. Commit to go. Commit to give. And we're going to watch a little video here that's local. It's Jim Hill, one of our... Uh, members, I love how Jim says in this that he wasn't all that, you know, extroverted maybe and doing things. He's in charge of our, uh, our welcoming committee and done such a great job and now working to serve the community. So we're going to watch this, and as we watch this, the ushers, guys, if you'll come up during the video and pass this, and you're gonna, it's going to sound loud, okay? You're going to go, and you're going to hold on to the little piece, and you're going to give the large piece, and we'll follow up with you and let you know about that. But let's watch this video and be encouraged, and ushers, if you